is Sunday, October 20th, 2019. Time for episode 96 of the Barnhart Podcast. If you have ever gotten a package from Amazon, you know that they have that little arrow underneath the logo from A to Z. And in this case, you were going from apostasy to Z being the end of the world. I don't know. Uh, we, we have a little bit of weird connection, just interesting feedback from, from the last podcast. I was going through my Catholic uh, Twitter feeds and, or not Twitter feeds, just my Catholic uh, blog feeds going through them. And I, I was, I, Father Z is one of the feeds I follow. And I, I see this comment about interesting audio. I was like, oh, he's talking about the podcast. That was kind of interesting. And I did, we did get some pretty interesting email uh, feedback as well about me talking about uh, my friend, Eric. And, um, that, that's a story that's touching quite a few people and, uh, it's, it's an edifying story and I'm, I'm happy to be a small part in helping other people learn about this because, um, like I said, I, I, I knew him and, and interacted with him somewhat, but we weren't super close friends. Our, our wives were a lot closer than, than he and I were, but, uh, all, all the, anything I could do to help spread his cause and, and, uh, encourage people to pray for the repose of his soul. He was, he was emphatic in telling his, his wife before he passed away, don't pray to me, pray for me. So for the, for those who heard that story and, and are listening, please carry on that. Absolutely. And isn't it, um, isn't it amazing to, to stop and think about all of these connections and like you, I mean, you did you you met him in person though hadn't you it's just oh no, yeah, yeah many many times yeah but you weren't it's not like you were super duper best friends or anything like that i mean for for someone like me who never met him in person you know so many people that that we've never met in person and yet lives connect and ta- connect even tangentially and then stories get distributed and um, prayers go up and people's lives are transformed and so on and so forth. So it's a, uh, it never ceases to amaze me how, how big the world is. And at the same time, how absolutely teeny tiny it is. So absolutely. And, and keep praying. Um, don't let, yeah, like, I'm glad you brought that up. Don't take it for granted that, um, that, Eric is already out of purgatory. Keep praying, keep praying for him. And you know what? If he is out of purgatory, again, we've covered this before. Our lady is mediatrix of all graces. One of the things that she's kind of in charge of, one of her jobs, if you could uh, permit the term, is that, you know, she gets to decide who gets what and distributes all of this. So if you're praying for the repose of Eric's soul, but Eric already is in fact in the beatific vision, our lady will redistribute those prayers so that they um, they will go to perhaps some poor forgotten soul, the most forgotten soul, um, so on and so forth. There may be someone that, that Eric specifically asked that it be redirected towards. You know, I mean, we don't have any idea, but believe me, that's all being taken care of. And Prayer, prayers like that are never, ever, ever in vain. So don't uh, don't talk yourself out of it. And even in another sense, I guess it could be said, you know, there's a lot of people, I saw something, somebody sent me some screen cap of something where people um, set of are praying for me to become a set of Well, of course that is, that's a completely futile prayer, obviously. Um, and God is never going to, you know, answer, answer those prayers in the sense that those people want, because God would never do, do ill. He would never, um, 
you know, he would never answer prayers that would cause me to fall into error at the behest of no matter how many people are asking for it. Um, but having said that, if these people, even in their misguided state, are in a, in a sense of goodwill, praying to the triune Godhead, which they, they obviously are, I believe that they are, um, for something that they believe would be to my benefit, um, I think that it is not theologically incorrect to say that, again, Our Lady is mediatrix of all graces, will take a warped intention like that, that that has its roots in in um, charity in the sense that um, these people are desirous of my ultimate well-being and ultimately achieving the beatific vision, even if they're in error about how to go, go about that. It's not just said of Acantus. I mean, I get emails all the time and have now for years from Protestants saying, you know, I, I'm praying very much for you that you will come out of the whore of Babylon, blah, 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 blah. I, you know, this is, of course, a completely misguided and erroneous prayer. However, the intention, if it's rooted in charity, I think it's theologically correct to say that Our Lady can rehabilitate those intentions and then direct that intention to the good. So um, it's it's a strange thing to think about that, you know, there's there could be people all over the world just fervently, fervently praying for something that's obviously wrong and against my best interests, but that that those prayers are being turned and transformed into um, basically the opposite of what the human beings are asked for, are asking for. But the point is, is that at the general judgment, those same people will look back at that and, you know, offer glory to God that in his mercy, um, that those those intentions were rehabilitated presumably through the hands of of the blessed virgin so prayer what an interesting interesting thing we've got we've got that dynamic we have the fact that um god is not limited in any way by time and therefore all kinds of bizarre things outside of the the linear timeline as we experience it are in play that you know there could be people in the future who were praying for us in retrospect, just as we could possibly be praying for people in retrospect behind us in the timeline. Like if you have, you know, ancestors or grandparents that you never met or some, some ancestor who died in the war or something like that, you can't, you can conceivably pray that they died well, even though they've been dead for decades or centuries or whatever. So, what what a fascinating dynamic prayer has and um i think people just don't don't stop and think about it enough and hopefully now in these days as all these absolutely frankly horrible and terrifying things are are really starting to happen and accelerate um i think one thing that is coming out of this is people are stopping and pausing and starting to think um with more depth and more profundity about what exactly it is that's going on and let it be noted especially now all this garbage is going on and what do we see we see more people more and more people all the time figuring out precisely because what of what is going on that yes the catholic church is the one true church um it's it's they're figuring out that it's satan is attacking 
the Roman Catholic Church because it is the one true church. Satan isn't isn't wasting his time attacking super fun rock band church because frankly those if you're going to super fun rock band church you're already so far afield that Satan really isn't going to waste ammunition on you. What he's going for now is absolutely the one true church. And people are realizing that as all of this stuff unfolds. So in a certain sense, again, um, even in the midst of this horror, it is in a sense edifying. And if you if you have the proper perspective on it and you, you can pull back and you can see the big picture, it's it's almost edifying. It's um, I was talking to priests earlier this week, and just it's you know it's us that are that's in these times. The divine providence put us here now, not not Saint Catherine of Siena, not um, Saint Bernard of Clairvaux. They the divine providence put those people in their times, and amazingly. It's us. We're the ones who are here now. And it seems absolutely incredible. But the fact of the matter is, is that we are called to live up to this, this absolutely incredible grace and opportunity that we have been given. And we need to do everything that we can to try to live up to that. It reminds me in a way of the the scene from the, the movie A Man for All Seasons, where uh, the, the character playing Thomas More makes the comment that referring to himself, this is not the stuff that martyrs are made of. Mm -hmm. And that he is, his goal is he's going to try to fly under the radar as much as possible and not register a public opinion unless it, he has no other recourse. And, and when it does come to that, then, you know, the, the power of the Holy ghost comes through and he, you know, has, has the, the heroic statement there trumped up of course, by, by the, the screenwriter who wasn't even Catholic. Uh, a point you were making earlier about prayer, prayer is never wasted. Mm -hmm. And this is a, a really interesting uh, point of meditation when it comes to the communion of saints. We are all in this together. And when when we offer prayers, uh, the, the only thing that makes it good or bad is how good the prayer is. What, you know, for, for somebody who wants you to convert to Sidovacantism or to the Southern Baptist or whatever, honestly, setting aside the question of, of how effective a, a non-Catholic's prayer is, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and let God sort it out. Uh, I, I don't need to judge that one. Um, but it's to make a, an imperfect analogy. It's, it's like the electric grid. Uh, you have any number of generating stations that can put power onto the grid. And most of us take, take from it because we need it to, and in the case of, of grace with prayer, we need to, re to restore our souls. Uh, grace perfects nature or repairs it. And we all are in need of repair. And some, some souls are so glorious. They can put more power onto the grid than they take off. And, and you know, it, God bless those souls, and I want to be one of them at some point. Um, I, I don't flatter myself to think I'm one of them, but this is the way it all works. You know, whatever we have to offer up, uh, we offer up for the benefit of, you know, for our own souls first and then for everybody else. We got a, a tremendous email from somebody uh, talking about um, my friend Eric and, and all the sufferings he went through with cancer. Somebody who had a, a form of cancer that has basically a 100% relapse rate or recurrence rate, I forget what the right term is. And, um, not that he never offered everything up before, but, but, uh, he was edifying to hear that story of, of Eric and definitely was something to keep in mind. So, um, yes. And this, this correspondent, that listener, he, I mean, the, 
it's a 100% relapse rate, but then you know that you've got, what is it, five to seven years. So it really is, it's, I mean, you don't you don't want to say i'm i am jealous of the fact that this person has cancer that's not what i'm saying but boy if you could if you're in a situation and you have a timeline put in front of you that says you can be very reasonably assured that you have 5 to 7 years left to live and you you can know this i mean talk about the ability to to plan and get your life together and really focus on, you have enough time to develop actually habits to become habitual in prayer and so on and so forth. And how many masses can you attend in, in five to seven years? And how many rosaries can you say in five to seven years? That's a, that's a tremendous consolation. It would seem to me to have the ability to see it coming that far off. And, you know, a lot of people do. Um, and this gentleman, I think he just, he has a, a form of bodily cancer. Um, the, the thing that always has, has frightened me, and this doesn't run in my family, but I know people for whom it does run in their family is of course, Alzheimer's that, you know, it's just pretty much like clockwork that, um, you know, in their late 60s, mid to late 60s or whatever it is, the Alzheimer's comes and it it starts in and just in their family, they know it's coming. And um, that's that's the one that the cancer, the, the idea of getting cancer, that doesn't really scare me much at all. What what scares me is the the notion of having a, um, a degenerative brain disorder disease, something like that, where you just slowly lose it. And the presumption is, is that you would not be lucid and you would not be sentient on your deathbed. That's, um, to me, that's, that's the far more intimidating um, type of death. Well, yeah, the ability to make acts of faith, hope, and charity diminish, and you don't even know it's happening, as well as the ability to repent for anything you've done. Mm -hmm. So it, it you, you don't know when that happens. It's, I, yeah, it, it, in terms of ways to go, that's be, because you don't know where, where the where the horizon is. And, and, and granted, if I got a medical diagnosis that said, you will be dead in five to seven years, there would also be a certain, you know, if I presumed I get that full five to seven years and I don't die in a car wreck in two weeks. True. Mm -hmm. it, it doesn't mean you, you definitely have all of that time. And no, none of us know. I mean, the, the line from Jesus himself, therefore, can't be questioned. As I come in this, as a thief, thief in the night, you won't know until it happens. Right. But even, even having said that, um, you know, people in my family tend to either die of cancer in their 60s or live to be exactly 94. It's strange. There's just so many people in on both sides of my family who have died at the age of 94 that even even if, you know, you don't you don't get cancer, you don't get Alzheimer's, anything like that. Every one of us, to a certain extent, we we do know. I mean, we know that we're not going to live beyond what's what's the max now. I mean, when I was a kid, the max was was nineties, was probably ninety five, and it's probably advanced a decade. So, absolute absolute maximum top end is one hundred and five, probably for our generation. Assuming that you know there's no societal collapse and we're all we still have the availability of the type of medicine that's available right now, so on and so forth. Um, one hundred. Don't take that for granted, by the way. Say again. 
Don't take that for granted, by the way. Yeah, exactly. Don't take that for granted. But um, assuming that, we we do know, we do know to a certain extent that we are not going to live beyond a certain age. And yeah, in my in my family, it's 94. So when you get to, let's let's say I get to 90. Yeah, I'm going to you're you're just going to start making the assumption that I've only got probably 5 years or less left and so you're going to you're going to plan accordingly and um it's it's sad but I think that it's there's a lot of elderly people who you know the four last things have not been preached and we're moving now into this generation of baby boomers um and they're going to start moving into that um well, the first baby boomers are turning what? Are turning 75 right now. So they're starting to move into that genuine um, elderly age. And it's a shame because so few of them have had death, judgment, heaven, and hell preached to them that it's it's not even on most of their minds, I'm afraid. And that's that's really a shame and it's really a waste. Yeah, and it's not like... Um this message is coming out of Rome with any kind of rapidity or clarity. Like as in <laughs> never, <laughs> never anymore. Um, I think there, I, you, you keep hearing anecdotes of people who have been in the Novus Ordo and are, who are finally leaving the Novus Ordo. And they say, I have never ever heard preached from the pulpit anything about the four last things or anything about any sort of sexual morality. In 50 years, I have never heard one word from the pulpit about any of this. And that's true. That's absolutely true in the Western um, Novus Ordo Church. It's, it's one of the great scandals of the age. So what has been going on in the Amazon Synod um, other than glorifying? I saw some headline about uh, saying, no, 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 we're not worshiping this carved wooden whatever it is. But then why were you all bowing to it profoundly inside St. Peter's? Well, of course, yeah, in the Vatican Gardens, and they took it in St. Peter's. They keep doing, and then it's, I think it's it's permanently set up in Santa Maria in Traspontina. So if you've ever been to Rome, that's the church that's on that straight street that goes straight to St. Peter's that Mussolini built. It's very modern, and you can tell that it's that it was recently built. So it's on that very straight street that's like, you know, two blocks that goes directly to St. Peter's. This church is on that street. So it's right there. And it's a, it's a very beautiful Carmelite church. And um, unfortunately they've just set up this thing, this pagan um, demon. It's really a demon. Um, And it's called, what's it called? Pachamama or something like that. And they're all saying in the press conferences, people are asking them, what the hell is that thing? And, and you know, when it first appeared, there were people, you know, the, the ridiculous Francis apologist people, they were saying, oh, it, it's the visitation. It's the Blessed Virgin and St. Elizabeth. And then people asked at the, at the uh, press conferences, saying what is this and they say oh no it's it's an earth goddess it's the spirit it's the it's a goddess of fertility and life no it's not the blessed virgin blah 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 then they did i think they did a a way of the cross or some sort of an absolutely 
horrific satanic quasi supposed to be way of the cross thing. They took a cross without our Lord's corpus on it, sat it down on the ground in front of this pagan demonic deity, and then picked up the deity and, and paraded around with it. The things that are going on, I mean, it's, it's getting to the point now where this is, this is the overt, undeniable, undeniable worship of demons. That's what this thing is. It is, it is a demon entity. It is, they offer blood sacrifices to it. It's in the shape of a woman and they say, oh, it's a pregnant woman. But then you read about this thing and no, it's not pregnant. And the belly is always red. And what they do in South America is the red is menstrual blood. It's not, it's supposed to, it's supposed to be depicting um, menstruation and the flow of blood. And they, they do offer um, blood sacrifices to this, to this demon um, for fertility and, and in the context of presumably earth worship and things like that. No, this is, this is, a, this is a demon that, that blood sacrifice is offered to. It's obvious what's going on. Everyone is seeing this, but you know, where grace, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Like I said, there's not only people out in the world who are figuring out that this is that D Satan is attacking the Roman Catholic Church because it is the one true church and it is the it's the visible head of the church militant. Um, but there are also people who are finally, finally waking up to the fact that there there's just no possible way that. Bergoglio is the vicar of Christ. I mean, I've even within the last few hours, I've received some extraordinarily interesting emails and um, from recognizable names of people saying, okay, I watched your video and I'm ready to talk. And okay, I'm happy to talk to you. Um, it's getting more and more it's just it's just impossible to deny in any sort of intelligent way that there is at minimum something desperately, desperately, desperately wrong. Um, good. I mean, that's that's again, it's our Lord's mercy. It's his love for us that all of this is so visible. Um, the divine providence is perfect and and our Lord is perfect good. That he's not going, something like this, like Bergoglio, is not going to happen without there being just copious, visual, easy to see, visible evidence that something's terribly wrong. Our Lord in his goodness would not permit something like this to happen and then have it just be everything's hunky-dory. I mean, people are saying make the argument to me that, well, you know, you wouldn't be saying anything if the faux conclave of March of 2013 had elected Cardinal Burke or, or you know, somebody like that. You wouldn't be saying anything. Uh, uh, I concede the point, but here's what my answer to that is. God, in his goodness, wouldn't permit... Um, that level of confusion to happen if there's an anti-pope in this situation 
our Lord and the divine providence and in his goodness, he's going to make sure that this is visible. Um, the, the euphemism that I've always used it, he's going to, he's always leaving this trail of breadcrumbs. There's always going to be a trail of breadcrumbs. It's never going to be where we're all just sta- sitting here completely high and dry without any sort of evidence or any way to figure out what what in the hell is going on here? Well, look at what's going on. Like, like our Lord said to the disciples of John the Baptist when they came to him and they asked him, are, are you the Messiah or should we wait for another? And what did he say back to them? He said, what do you see here? Go back and tell John what you have seen and what you have heard here. The blind see, the lame walk. You need to look, use your powers of observation. I'm making this very clear. Go back and tell John what you have seen. And he doesn't he doesn't say, go to the temple and ask the Sanhedrin. No, he doesn't say that. He says, you use your eyes, use your powers of observation, use your brain, draw a conclusion go back and tell John what you've seen here. Same thing with, you know, Peter making his his confession, thou art the Christ. Well, I mean, yes, it wasn't it wasn't um how dare you Peter, how dare you how dare you say that? Who the hell are you? Where's your degree? You need to go and defer to the Sanhedrin, you need to go to the temple and you need to ask them who I am. How dare you, Peter? How dare you declare me to be the Christ, the son of the living God? How dare you declare me to be the Messiah independently? You, if you were good, you would have gone and you would have gone to the temple and you would have asked the Sanhedrin to tell you who I am. Well, does that sound right? How would that have worked out? How would that have worked out? Peter Peter would say, well, you know, I've I've observed him working all of these miracles, so on and so forth, but you know, I I couldn't possibly, I couldn't possibly. I have to go ask my betters. I have to go ask these lettered men. I have to go ask these priests to tell me who you are. It, it, that's not the way it worked out. And I think it's kind of at the end of the day with all of us, since we we will stand before Christ at our particular judgment alone, and we're not going to be able to pull this, this maneuver of pointing at whoever our local bishop is or whoever the parish priest is and saying, well, well, he, but, but he didn't, he didn't, he told me that it's like, you, you are going to have to, at some point, be responsible for yourself. And at some point, every single one of us has to answer the question that our Lord asks of us directly as individuals, who do you say that I am? You have to come to that conclusion yourself. And in in a very similar vein, in a related way, I think we all have the responsibility to look at this crap that is going on in Rome. And it it does speak directly to the question of, of our Lord and who do we say our Lord is? Because you cannot reconcile um, if you confess that our Lord is 
is the Christ, is the son of the living God, is the second person of the triune Godhead, is a divine person, um, is perfect good, is infinite charity, you cannot reconcile that to the notion that he broke his promise, that he has um, he has severed the covenant with the church militant, his bride. He's effectively abandoned his bride, divorced his bride, um, and that he's put all of us, and this is the big one, that he's put everybody alive right now in a catch-22 where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't, where you're looking at Bergoglio and saying Bergoglio is the standard of schism. You have to be in union with Bergoglio in order to be in the church. However, simultaneously, Bergoglio is himself the vector of schism. So if you if you deny that Bergoglio is the pope, you're in schism and you're damned. But if you follow Bergoglio, you're turning your back on Christ and you're also damned. That's a catch-22. That is a that is a violation of the law of non-contradiction because Bergoglio cannot both be and not be the standard of unity. He can't both be unity and its opposite. And so that's a catch-22 speaks directly to the question of who do you say that I am, meaning our Lord. And I've been making this point ever since I came out three years ago, realizing, coming to the conclusion that I did about Bergoglio, that the essence of the question is a question of our Lord and his divinity. He can't be this lying promise-breaking, catch-22 um, um, jerk, and also be God. It's, that's, that is not possible. And so therefore, the question just keeps coming back. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And at this point, who you say Bergoglio is, is speaking to who you say our Lord is. Because Peter and it, Peter is the vicar of Christ, and the the declaration of Christ's divinity is the foundation upon which the papacy is established and built. That's when our Lord established the papacy, when Peter confessed, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And so the papacy is is 100% built upon the divinity of Christ. And so all of these questions, they all culminate in that one thing. We're living through that right now. This is, this is the, the big test for everyone. Who do you say that I am? Everything goes back to our Lord. Absolutely everything. Um, you know, the canon law and everything is a confirming set. But if you want to dig down to what the absolute throbbing, beating core of this entire situation is, it is, who do you say that Jesus of Nazareth is? Are you with Bergoglio that he's just, that he was just a, a, a very admirable human being? Or as allegedly Bergoglio said to Scalfari in that interview, which I absolutely believe, um, or do you believe that our God, that our Lord is a divine person with a human and a divine nature, which is the truth and what the church has taught and hashed out within the first 
four centuries, and that's what, you know, the Arian crisis was about and the Council of Nicaea, and we recite it in the creed every Sunday and on, on days when the, when the creed is recited. I mean, that's, that's the point. Who do you say that he is? And I'm on the side of uh, he's God, he's divine, he is true God and true man. So there you go. It's kind of hard to believe somebody who is supposed to be the vicar of Christ who denies that Christ is even God. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't, I don't know how that works exactly. And 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 in terms of confusion over the bishops in white, Fran, or Benedict is still signing letters with his uh, apostolic blessing. That's not something only a pope can he, do, isn't yes, it? Yes, he signed. He signed off the letter. I believe it was the letter, letter to Cardinal Bramuller. And the last line was, I bless you with my, my apostolic blessing. And I mean, it's in German and we'll, um, we'll put that in the show notes. And I have a whole post about that with a screen cap of the letter itself with those words in German and then his signature. And of course, what's his signature? Benedict the 16th. Uh, it's, it's. And it's it's a mercy and a blessing that this is all so highly visible. But I'm glad that you brought that up because um, speaking of Father Z, uh, <laughs> who <laughs> who I am I am every once in a while in contact with. We I've I've actually met him in person, and and uh, I met him in person years ago actually. And you know, every once in a while, um, you know, a little email correspondence here and there, but he, he had a post up and we'll put this in the show notes too. It's from October 15th. And it's about, um, father Wynandy, who is a, who is a theologian who was actually fired. Um, he's a, he's a Capuchin and he was fired several years ago for, you know, you know, actually being Catholic and saying Catholic things, but he's come out, with this um, completely new innovation position, and this is it really it really angers me because this is the quintessence of what I'm talking about. I made a post about uh, picking up on a post that I saw over at Vox Day, um, calling theologians. And the, the whole point of the post was I'm not calling theologians of the modern day theologians anymore because they're not even the people today aren't even in the same category as actual theologians. You know, Thomas Aquinas was a theologian. St. Alphonsus Liguri is a theologian. Um, these people today that are calling themselves theologians and they're, and they just, they hand out theology degrees like, like, you know, prizes out of a damn Cracker Jack box. It's just, it's just a complete joke. The, um, the theological academy the world over. I mean, that's obviously the the state of universities in all disciplines, most all disciplines, has just spiraled into the toilet over the last hundred years. I think we all know that. But um, the, perhaps one of the very, very worst disciplines in in um, academia today, where the standards have dropped so low is theology. Um, and so now they're just, 
they're just making crap up and they're, they have to be making stuff up in order to maintain this, this joke argument that Bergoglio was the vicar of Christ. And what the, the term that father Wynandy coined was there is an internal papal schism. And because they're saying there has to be an internal papal schism because Bergoglio is both the um, vicar of Christ and he's head of the tr- of the church and he's also head of the anti-church, which is, of course, imbecilic, irrational and a violation of the law of non-contradiction. Something cannot both be itself and its opposite, which is what we're talking about here. And so they're just, I get forgive me, but, you know, mild language warning here, but there's really no other way to put this. They're just making shit up now in order to try to put some sort of a highfalutin sound and theological gloss over all this. And I'm, I want to blow the whistle on this. This term that they're putting out now is that there is an internal papal schism. Okay. That is not only irrational bullshit, it's also, it seems to me, um, if it's not blasphemy, it's flirting with blasphemy very hard. Um, the notion that that the papacy itself, founded by Christ, guaranteed by Christ, with this negative supernatural protection, with Vatican I infallibly proclaiming the, the dogma, the infallible dogma of papal infallibility. And, you know, we got people now saying that um, the, the universal peaceful acceptance of the illegal conclave by the College of Cardinals, that's infallible dogma. Again, again, pardon my language, making shit up, making shit up out of whole cloth, that argument is. So they'll they'll declare that the College of Cardinals, who, which is everybody can see, is a spectacularly corrupt and um, anti-meritorious collection of of villains, basically, like cartoon villains today, and that's obviously the case. Making shit up, declaring them. And their their collective acceptance of of this crap that's going on as being infallible dogmatic certainty, and then turning around and declaring an actual dogmatic declaration at a at an infallible ecumenical council, namely papal infallibility at Vatican I. Declare, you say, blow that off. That's wrong openly saying on the internet, hey, maybe Vatican I was wrong. Maybe an infallible ecumenical council was wrong, but let's just make this whole meme shit up about the College of Cardinals. Their universal peaceful acceptance of anti-Pope Bergoglio is infallible dogmatic certainty that that conclave was um, legit and, and if there were any problems with it, that it was sanated after the fact. I mean, this is this is just madness. And so internal papal schism. Nope, sorry. That is people just making stuff up in order to maintain the absolutely untenable, obviously untenable position 
that um, that Bergoglio is the Pope trying to just what it, when I was in business, when I was a commodity broker, I mean, we called this and I, this exists in other, you know, areas of, of the corporate world as well. But, you know, the expression that you use is they're just, they're trying to dazzle people with bullshit. They're just, they're just using, you know, $6 words and thinking, well, you know, if I just use this $6 word and get up and stand up in front of a bunch of people and drop some term I just made up on them, and they're all just going to nod and go and go along with this and say, well, he's smarter than I am. He has a Ph.D. He's a theologian. I've never been to I've never been to school for theology. I don't have a degree. And he just he just said internal papal schism. So, yeah, I guess that must be it. And, and uh, no, guys, the term for that is spitter. The, the term for that is what? Spitter. Smartest person in the room. Ah, yeah. Well, I don't, I mean, I'm sure Father Wynandy is is a very nice man and he has, in, in all fairness, he's been fired for being too Catholic. Um, and, you know, and Father Z, he's not bad. He's not a bad person, but I'm sorry, but I have to call this out because this is not right. And this is confusing people. And it's, uh, like I said, if it isn't blasphemy to say that, that the papacy could could suffer an internal schism. Uh, if that isn't blasphemy, it's 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 towing that line. It's really really close. And so, yeah, um, not don't buy that, folks. Don't buy that at all. Well, like I said in the last uh, podcast, and and uh, somebody asked if I was feeling really down or or was was coming coming down to something or what or was I just depressed the whole topic talking about just the level of confusion in the church at this point I've got to say that I I can't see any sane way to say that Francis is the Pope I just don't know if Benedict validly resigned or not that's 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 my other question here but when you have somebody who's saying Jesus isn't God mm-hmm. he's pushing he, he's obviously approving of what's going on at the Amazon Synod. I saw a, a, a video clip this morning of uh, was it Edward Penton asking, I forget which prelate it was, about the female deacons and is the plan to then, um, uh, not canonize, uh, consecrate them priests. And and the, the prelate was saying, why not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, how about it's not possible? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And note who who is that that prelate? He's a German and he's a he's a German transplanted to South America. All this crap is coming from the Germans. And just have to give a shout out to Ed Penton, who has just the most amazing ability. It reminds me of um, do you remember in the what would it be? When was Newt Gingrich at the height of his power? So it was the Clinton um, like ninety four is when the ninety four is when the contract on Amer- or contract with America exactly. Started. So what what do they do? Connie Chung, who was I think CBS News at that point, gets an interview with uh, Newt Gingrich's tragic mother. I mean, this gal. <laughs> Good grief. 
Mrs. Gingrich or whatever her name is, she she's a woman that I would describe or we used to describe back in Kansas where I'm from as being road hard and put up wet, which is a which is an equestrian term about, you know, riding a horse and getting it sweaty and then putting putting it in the barn. And apparently I've never been a horse person, but apparently if you do that, the horse is going to get pneumonia or something and die. This this gal was rough. And I mean, it's it's pretty remarkable that. Um, Gingrich, I'm, I'm not a fan of at all. Cause he's, you know, he's a politician, he's a high level national ranking politician. And so almost by definition, he's a diabolical narcissist, sociopath or psychopath. Cause they all are, it's like, you know, a requirement anymore, but he's clearly, he clearly has a high IQ. He's intelligent, but he's got this mother that she was just, oh, she was she was white trash, trailer trash, whatever you want to call it. I mean, she's sitting there, she's smoking. She's got the, she's got the Lucille Ball circa 1977 after having just smoked, <laughs> chain smoked a pack of unfiltered camels, the deep gravelly, oh, rough voice. And Connie Chung is interviewing Newt Gingrich's mother <laughs> and um, Connie Chung asks her, well, has Newt said anything to you about, about the Clintons? And of course, Mrs. Gingrich says, oh, I couldn't say. I especially couldn't tell you what he says about Hillary. And the world famous thing that Connie Chung did was she leaned in and she said, now they're sitting for an interview and there's lights and cameras on everything. Obviously, this isn't a hidden camera situation. Connie Chung leans in and says, just between you and me, can you just whisper it to me? And sure enough, Mrs. Gingrich leans in and says, he says she's a bitch. And, uh, you know, of course, that was that was just played on television in a continuous loop for weeks, months, however long it took. And that ultimately led to the downfall of Gingrich. That was the, that was the beginning of the end right there. And it didn't end until he had, he had resigned from Congress. He had resigned from everything. He was gone. Um, and, and yet, and Ed Penton has that, and I'm not, I'm not analogizing Ed to, you know, the evil of, of Connie Chung and the American mainstream media, but it's just, it's the most amazing thing that he can, I mean, it, it, there's, they're, they're there, and this was the video of this is all on the internet. We'll put this in the show notes too. There's this video, and there's a gaggle of reporters standing there. They're talking to this guy, to this um, bishop, this South American bishop who's ethnically German, and Ed asks him, you know, is the point of um, getting female deacons that you that you ultimately want to have that you ultimately want to have women priests and you know the the prelate kind of demurs and so on and so forth and ed does this crazy thing that he can do where he leans in and just kind of starts saying oh come on just just between us i mean come on really it's okay you can tell me <laughs> he he has the most amazing talent for this and it's weird because everybody knows who he is Everybody knows that Ed is very much on the conservative, traditional side of the spectrum. 
This is no secret at all anywhere. And Ed can just get these people to talk to him and say these things. And it's um, it's a pretty remarkable, <laughs> if you want to call it a gift, I mean, that's a pretty remarkable gift to have, I guess. But, you know, if you're going to be a journalist, that's exactly what you need is that you need to be able to get people to talk and to, and to say say what they're actually thinking. And I mean, what a talent that is with churchmen, with politicians. I mean, you know, notorious known um, career liars that we all know that they are. To be able to get them to actually have a moment of, of candor and truth and say, yeah, this is our agenda. This is what we're going for. But yes, ultimately, that is um, the point you made is extremely important. Guys, no matter what these people do, there is it is ontologically impossible for a woman to ever be ordained a deacon or a priest. You can't even ordain a woman a deacon. There is no such thing ontologically. So they're, they are going to start doing this. I think it's a foregone conclusion. They've been, they've been talking about this and telegraphing this for years and years, basically since, um, since Bergoglio got in. And even before that, if you look at the St. Gallen Mafia, um, the ones who are already dead, like the one who was the head of it before Walter Casper, the one who died in August of 2012, which was Cardinal Martini of Milan, um, he, he's, he was talking about female ordination all along. This has been on the agenda and obviously it's on Satan's agenda. Everything goes back to what, what is Satan gunning for here? Well, of course, Satan wants to have, um, fake, uh, fake invalid female ordinations, fake invalid, uh, masses, things like that. I mean, that's, that's obviously what this is all gunning towards. And the other thing is, is that going back and circling back and talking about these um, these pagan demonic worship rites that they're doing with the with the South American Pachamama uh, demonic goddess thing, who who is one of the people who shows up in absolutely every photograph of this thing? It is an Anglican female lesbian lesbian fake married to her to her lesbian sodomy partner anglican priestess you know fake priestess fake because anglican and fake because woman so you know got both going for her there that woman is in absolutely every photograph and every video of all of that crap this woman's basically this woman's a witch she's clearly demonic she's a sex pervert Aping, aping marriage with her sodomy partner. I mean, aping, aping holy orders, aping the mass. The woman apes the holy sacrifice of the mass. Don't forget that. Don't forget that. So, I mean, this woman is an absolute witch and she's front and center at all of that crap. Um, so, and that also, that reminds me, I do have a little bit of an announcement to make. I am recording another video, and it's not going to be about the papacy. Um, I've seen so many people, including people on, you know, in the trad world, who keep um, messing up and aren't able to properly explain priestly celibacy. 
And I see a lot of trads and a lot of com boxes and so forth saying, well, yeah, you know, I'm so fed up with all these sodomites that, yeah, maybe it would be a good thing. And a lot of problems would be solved if we had, if we abolished priestly celibacy and we had married men in because, oh, well, you know, the apostles, they were married and there wasn't celibacy formally until, you know, this and such a year and so on and so forth. And people who don't know the difference between the terms celibacy, chastity, and continence. So I finally said, that's it. I'm, I'm making a video um, just so that there is a, a clear, full explanation of why um, we have priestly celibacy and most importantly, what the satanic agenda is, which is namely having men who are sexually active on the altar. Um, that's what Satan wants. And that's what... Um, what people are missing. They don't get that at all. And, you know, they, we've talked about this before. They've got people, Anglican ordinariate priests, Lutheran priests who, who convert and then are received into the church and ordained Catholic priests, and they're still married. And presumably these guys are all still having sex with their wives. And that is, that is a massive problem. And so, um, the, the date is set. Video, Mr. Videographer is, is set. My friend Phil has made his, his place that I use to record my, uh, my videos kindly available again. It's all, it's all done. It's so it's going to be done the first week of November. So be on the lookout for that. I may have to send some tips for lighting and some other stuff. Oh, I know. We'll, that's we'll, we'll always, talk about that I offline. Know, I know. That's always the issue is lighting. It's so difficult. Um, it really makes you appreciate motion picture production because, boy, it isn't just a matter of, well, turn all the lights on in the house and maybe, you know, get get one of your torch lamps and point it in this direction. It, it, that just sometimes that even makes it worse. <laughs> well, it's it's not just lighting also. I've been doing a little more research on why is it so dang hard to take an iPhone video and make a DVD of it. And it has to do with the video formats and whatnot. So mm. I'll, I'll do a little more research on that. It, it, and for those who have been wondering, how, why is SuperNerd not putting out a DVD of the second video? It's because I can't figure out how to do it without the, the audio and video getting out of sync by like three seconds by the Ugh. end of it. Ugh, it there's, it's the just worst. so... Ugh. It is just so weird. It's like the the video is high quality. It's great for internet. It's it's, it's perfect for YouTube. Mm -hmm. But in terms of making an offline hard copy, um, you can download the MP4 file and put that on a computer. And, and most modern DVD players, if you want a disc, you can put the, the, the file on a disc and put that in a, in a DVD player. And it says, oh, digital file. I know what to do with that. But in terms of putting it in the actual DVD format, things get wonky at that point. And I honestly don't understand that. That's a level of that's no, it's not a level. It's, it's a section of geeking out that I don't normally get into audio. I play around with a lot and sometimes I get it right video. It's yeah, I don't know. Well, let the call go out. If anybody knows how to sync up audio and video for DVD production, contact super nerd. Well, and I was gonna say in terms of recording, knowing this in advance, um, I think a better way of doing this is actually a, a digital SLR and something that's, like I said, we'll, we'll have a technical discussion offline about this. So Okay. <laughs> and I have no idea what a digital SLR is. So <laughs> oh, it's just like the film cameras that have exchange, uh, interchangeable lenses, but they're all digital now. I ain't buying anything. I don't have enough money. <laughs> just so you know. No, but <laughs> probably somebody in your zip code has one, I'm guessing. 
I don't know. <laughs> now be careful, guys. Seriously, don't be mailing me anything. Seriously, seriously, seriously. Um, yeah, we, yeah, that's 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 not worth. <laughs> don't don't do that. I've, I've, got, the, I've got the ability to ship things if we need to. That's yeah. that's I, we're not asking for gear or, or anything no, like that. No, no, don't do that. Do not do that. But if you have expertise in um, in audio and video mixing and and things like that. I, uh, or post post production, post production really? Yeah, it's, post production. How do I how do I go from this two hour long iPhone video to a DVD? That's the part without with with all the synchronization staying intact. That's the part that's making me scratch my head and, and honestly just not want to think about it. But yeah, it's all it's all there on YouTube and you can download it. It's easy. It's free. Yep. Yep. Okay. Well, there's that. That kind of went off in numerous directions, but. What else do we have? Do we have another? Oh, the oh, the 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 woman suckling the pig. We haven't even talked about that. Good heavens, how could we forget her? Uh, yeah, the weird thing is, is that I thought we had talked about this, and then I, I when I thought back to we recorded was it ten days ago? Friday, and yep. then well, it was a week ago. A week Friday. ago, Friday, yeah, yeah. Because I, I was I was listening through to the to the podcast after after it uh, pushed, and usually I do that just to make sure I didn't royally goof up the audio in one one degree or another, and also to figure out what did I say I'm going to put links in the show notes about, and then never did. So that I, I was I was listening to that and and. Uh, couldn't couldn't help laughing and saying yeah we, we we might record another one of these on Tuesday or Wednesday I'm listening to this on Thursday yeah but I thought that we had talked about this because I saw the the post on your your blog post about or the, on on your blog about the the demonic blood sacrifice pig something or other yeah did, I can't remember if we did or not but I I don't think so but the thing about all of that is is and I made I think I made this point in writing on the blog. Where I can see this clearly going, and we've talked about this on the podcast before, this business of um, pets becoming substitute children as the culture just devolves into, into neo-pagan decadence. You see it all the time, women walking around with these little yapper dogs um, in, babe, in dog baby strollers, women walking around with dogs wrapped up and swaddled as a baby and carrying the dog as a baby. I'm telling you guys, the, you are going to start after this because this is this has gotten that photograph out into the media it's i mean it's more prominent obviously in the catholic media but it's it's in the mainstream media too and where this is going to go mark my words unless there's supernatural intervention is that you're going to have um these leftist wacko sjw um earth worshiping cretans um, young women are going to start suckling dogs, mostly dogs, but they're going to start suckling animals. Um, and you say, well, Anne, how, how could they do that? I mean, you don't just, women don't just produce milk all the time. Well, you can, you can get a prescription because obviously they have drugs that stimulate lactation. It's in there. It's in the same species and category of drugs as birth control pills. It's all these, you know, reproductive, um, um, hormones and stuff. You can ask. Oh, so it's covered by healthcare. Oh, sure. Absolutely. So you can absolutely go to a doctor and these drugs absolutely exist to stimulate lactation. So there's that, but there's another more, more wildly satanic way to do that. And that is for a woman to get pregnant 
um, carry the child into the third trimester so that the body is already, you know, ramped up and, and ready to go in terms of lactation, then murder the child in the womb declare that a blood sacrifice to the earth and that you're doing the world a favor by not bringing this baby into the world because humans are are an infestation and are destroying the earth and instead suckling an animal um because having been pregnant and then continuing to stimulate and pr- presumably like use breast breast pumps or something like that to to get the the lactation running literally like a cow you know um that's what that's what you do with a dairy cow i mean the, the you don't abort the calf obviously the calf is born but then the calf is immediately taken away and um and then the cow it just lactates 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 and so I I can see this coming clear as day. It's going to be the next big thing is going to you're going to see girls and women suckling dogs mostly but other animals as well. So, you know, just just brace for it because it's obvious. Um there's movement now. I've seen several people have sent me um there's a growing movement and I've been calling this again for years as well about women um laws being declared that it's it's an equal rights thing for women to walk around topless and so there's there's all of that now it's going to be this business of of the ultimate inversion and perversion of of motherhood deny deny the human child in fact offer offer the human child even as a blood sacrifice by by aborting it and then show your complete contempt for human life by suckling on human breast milk animals. That's, it is so satanic. And that's what all of this is. This is just Satanism manifesting. I'm telling you, now they've got this crap going on in Rome with this, this image of this woman suckling a pig and you know there was confusion at first about what kind of animal it was and i i called it a pig at first glance because you know i'm i'm about my pork products and i know a ham when i see a ham and that the the rear hawk of that animal um and the hooves on that animal immediately looked poor sign to me i thought it looked like a wild boar and it turns out that's what it is but then i got an email from someone a brazilian in fact and the brazilian said that could be a um what are those things called capybara c-a-p-y-b-a-r-a which are the largest rodents in the world they're these enormous rodents and not like the rodents um rodents of unusual size from the princess bride it's kind of they are kind of like the rodents of unusual size of unusual size from the princess bride they're big um and they're they're rats they're they're rodents they're basically giant rats and i thought well you know that 
that might be. And hey, Brazilians know they're giant rats. So if this Brazilian is emailing me saying it could be a capybara. So I went ahead and posted that. But then sure enough, across the transom comes, nope, here this is. Here's the original source of it. It was taken in the 90s. Here's the photographer. This is actually a famous image in Brazil. And it's used, it's presented as, oh, look at how it, it was. In fact, it was linked to a Facebook page for a uh, breastfeeding ad advocacy group saying, oh, look at how wonderful, oh, you know, nobody's better than a woman because only a woman could possibly be so generous as to, as to breastfeed this, this poor little pig who's apparently it's, um, its mother was, was, killed. I'm sure she was delicious too. Um, but here's this poor little pig and look at this, look at this evolved so much vastly superior to all of us. Um, Amazonian tribeswoman suckling this pig. Well, no nothing is more disgusting and perverse and wrong than a woman suckling a pig. Um, and the fact that Again, this image is is hanging, displayed every day in this church in Rome. And isn't it amazing? And it has to be said, um, it has to be called out. You know, Diane Montagna just released a book with um, Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who's Bishop Schneider is considered to be, you know, one of the two or three best bishops alive today in the world. He's one of the only ones who says things that are even remotely Catholic. And but they had this book launch and who was in the room? So it's it's Bishop Schneider, Cardinal Burke was there, um, Cardinal Mueller was there, Cardinal Lorenz was there. Um, I don't know if Sarah, Cardinal Sarah was there or not. I mean it was it was an absolute who's who of of you know, what is considered to be the, in scare quotes, conservative, right, traditional, whatever you want to call it, that side of the church today, orthodox. Um, perhaps we could just use the descriptor Catholic, the Catholic part of the church today. Everybody's assembled in the room. And then, of course, because all of the, um, you know, the media and the blogosphere people were there. So Mike Matt from The Remnant was there and Voris was there and yada, yada, yada. All these people are there. Okay. The Pachimama and the image of the woman breastfeeding the pig is literally just a few steps away from the venue where this book launch was held. And I can't remember who it was, but somebody, one of some blogger wrote a post that was pretty good. I'll try to find it. And we'll put that in the show notes too, saying, why didn't anyone any one of those people, they're all gathered together. They know they have a friendly audience. Why didn't one of those people say one word against the, um, the blasphemy of having these, the, the demon idol and this image of the woman breastfeeding the pig in a church that was literally just a few steps away? It's like next door. It was, it's on that same street. The venue where this book launch was held was on, is on that street that leads to St. Peter's. And so it was literally just a few steps from, um, they were all just a few steps from where this is going on. Nobody said a word. Nobody um, denounced it. it. It wasn't even brought up. And, you know, this blog post that this person made, it was like, you know, book launches aren't, 
aren't going to do anything. We need to have people who are standing up and people, people who wear, you know, red, <laughs> red piped cassocks and, and red zucchettos. We need to have people who have, who have skin in the game and something to lose to stand up and be screaming at the top of their lungs, denunciations of all of this. And even better, we need to have, um, people in red red pipe cassocks and red zucchettos going into the church of Santa Maria and Traspontina and tearing the damn display down. Why didn't they do that? Why don't they do that? And it's it's a it's a very, very fair question. Um while while we don't you're not I'm obviously not opposed to Bishop Athanasius Schneider book in principle and say I'm not I'm not opposed to it at all. But, you know, it's it's like, you know, the people who just keep writing essay after essay after essay after article after article after article saying, you know, I think there's something liturgically wrong with the Novus Ordo. Great. Thanks. You know, um, this is essay number 8,412 that you've written on this saying exactly the same thing. When are we actually going to do something about this? When is something, when is somebody with some authority going to stand up and say something about this? Very, very fair question. Very fair question. And the fact that they were so physically close that I think that's what really rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. You're just a few, you're just a few yards away from from demon idols being displayed in a church where the blessed sacrament is reposed and not not even a word was said about it it's just like you know we don't want to we don't want to talk about these unpleasant things um well you know, somebody's going to have to talk about these unpleasant things and and quickly because it's all happening god only knows literally god only knows what the the results of this Amazon Synod are going to be, it's all, it's all pre-planned, of course, but I mean, we can't anticipate that they're going to have faux um, female ordination of some, of some kind, and they're going to completely abolish priestly celibacy, and you're going to have sexually active men all over the place um, on the altar offering the holy sacrifice. And, you know, obviously, People are probably listening right now saying, well, Anne, you've got all kinds of sexually active sodomites offering the holy sacrifice. Yes, but there is something different about the fact that it would people would believe that it was church sanctioned. That's the problem. And um, it's, uh, uh, I don't know. I, I it, it gets it gets a little bit exhausting at times. But then again, you know, it's also edifying and vivifying and quickening as we talked about before, to know that we are the people that were chosen for these days and um, just keep, keep charging, don't give up and keep calling this crap out. I guess that's all we can do. Yeah. We're definitely closer to the end than the beginning, yeah, yeah, obviously. Yeah. I mean, to, not to be taking, you know, make, making light of it, but you know, every day that goes by, we're closer to the end, but th something that was, was mentioned to me by a friend this last week talking about the demon idol in the church where the Holy, uh, Holy Eucharist is proposed. Mm -hmm. This is starting to make parallels to the desolation of, or consolation of what? No. Abomination the, of desolation. Abomination of desolation in, in the holy place. 
And the phrase the holy place was a specific place in the temple mm-hmm. right next to the tabernacle. Yep. And they did that. There's video of that as well. Um, what is that? Daniel, is it Daniel 11 or Daniel 13? I should know this from my from my days of my childhood watching Jack Van Impey presents because it was always it was always that passage in Daniel. Um, and yeah, I mean, what what are you waiting for? I was, I was thinking, um, you know, as I was puttering around and getting my water and getting ready for for you to call, thinking what more what's left? What more could they do from here? And um, I guess sod- sodomite faux married priests with the faux sodomite spouse serving as the deacon. Um, and then at the right of peace, they like, you know, tongue kiss. And don't don't think that I'm being facetious because uh, the the odious, odious James Martin, the sodomite, um, he... Uh, last year, year and a half ago, something like that. Maybe it's been two years ago now. He came. He came out. No pun intended. And publicly um, responded to uh, a a young man who engaged, obviously, in the sins of Sodom, and said, "It's my prayer that someday you can kiss your husband at mass at the rite of peace." Oh, oh, I think I think that's something that they would absolutely want to do. Um, that they would want to have sodomite lovers as priest and deacon on the altar, and then at the rite of peace, that they would like tongue kiss each other or something like that. There is no limit and no end to the malice of Satan. You've got to get this through your heads. There is nothing that Satan would look at and say, well, no, that would be a bridge too far. No, 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 no. The the malice of the demons is we can't even understand. And so, yeah, of course they would be gunning for something like that. And that's what we're going for. The other thing, I mean, in terms of how bad could it get, you know, I I used to talk about, you know, what is it going to take? Is it going to take you know, Bergoglio actually raping a boy child on the Loggia of St. Peter's. And, you know, at this point, you shouldn't even make jokes about things like that anymore because a- anything's possible at this point. There, it's, There's no limit. There's really no limit to how bad it could potentially get. Um, and it's just amazing to me that it's just amazing to me that people are still saying things like, well, you know, the worshiping of the of the um, demon in the Vatican Gardens, that was bad. And boy, if, if they just if they just do one more thing, there used to be a joke about that. If they if they just do one more thing. I think it was it was about Anglicans, you know, about some woman bishop or something. Well, if, if they do just one more thing, if they take one more step, if they cross one more line, and that it, it isn't even a joke anymore. It isn't even a joke anymore. Um, so I know it's kind of a macabre thing to to sit around and think about, but at the same time, and um, you know, I had the opportunity to visit with some priests this past week and one of the points that I made um, was it is to me, my, my faith is, is not 
compromised, flagged in any way by any of this. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. It is still, it, it blows my mind and fills me with such love and gratitude to our Lord and such such an ever-deepening appreciation of his truly infinite goodness and his mercy. The fact that even with all of this crap going on, with demons being worshipped in the Vatican, et cetera, et cetera, all this crap going on, I can still walk into any Catholic church and be very, very confident to the point of being morally certain that our Lord is in fact physically substantially reposed in the tabernacle of that church. Even if it's obviously, if it's a Novus Ordo, that's, that's the point I'm making. Even now with this crap going on, I can still pop in to any, any Catholic church and be morally certain that our Lord is in the tabernacle. That is just, just stop and think about that. Think about how good he is, how much he loves us, how merciful he is, how patient he is, how he's giving us every possible chance and every possible opportunity to stand up for him, to fight for him, to do the right thing, and how blessed we are to be the people living in these days. It's, it's just absolutely incredible. And so with all this crap going on, my faith isn't, I'm not being scandalized. Uh, it, it's exactly the opposite. It's exactly the opposite. My faith just grows stronger and stronger and stronger. And there's nothing, there's nothing that anyone in Rome or frankly anywhere else could do at this point that would scandalize me. I mean, yeah, I know Satan is listening to me say that. Um, but I, I'm, I, feel very confident in this, you know, I, there's nothing that human beings could do at this point that would scandalize me. And all I see when I look around at this is I just keep seeing manifestations of how good our Lord is and just the love, the, the incredible amount of love. And I saw something and I, it's one of those things you're surfing on the internet and you know, you can't, you can't find something half an hour after you saw it, even if you go back through your history in your, in your browser, you just can't find it. But the, the point that was made is um, there was a mystic that was at, at some point was just filled with an absolutely overwhelming um, sensation and appreciation for for the goodness the infinite goodness of god and so this person was a mystic and they were they were able to talk to our lord and the mystic said to our lord what what can i do what can i do to show you in any way how grateful i am to you for your infinite infinite goodness and what our Lord said back to this mystic was, go to the holy sacrifice of the mass once. And so people might, might hear that and think, oh, well, what does that mean? Does that mean we only have to go to mass one time in our entire lives and that's all that means? Just, just go once. No. What that means and what our Lord was saying 
is it your your going to mass is such a big deal to him that to show him gratitude for how good he is you showing up to mass one time is is such a big deal to him that that would be that's what he wants you to do in order to show him your gratitude for his goodness that i mean and you know there's people who are saying i'm not going to mass no i'm not going to go to this mass or that mass it's too difficult it's too far it's too hard i don't like they don't do this they're commemorating the wrong person and just any excuse to get out of going to mass and that's just been another thing that now it's a it's a worm in my mind you go to mass because it is such a big deal for our lord for you to go just once just on a you know just random thursday feria it is when you walk in the door of the church and you're there and you're going to be there at that mass at the holy sacrifice at the foot of the cross at calvary our lord is so overjoyed by that and it is such a big deal to him that you're there and you know this is this is god almighty who created the entire universe sustains the entire universe contains all information all knowledge contains absolutely everything in himself is holding everything together is holding every electron in every atom in its valent shell in the entire universe and that's just that's nothing to him and he and you walk in the door to go to mass on a random thursday on a feria and he is just he is incredibly incredibly infinitely happy that you're there that's how big of a deal it is that's what uh that's kind of been the 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 worm in my mind now for the past the past couple of weeks or so since I since I saw that piece and I'll try to find it and if I find it we'll put it in the show notes but that's the general gist of it how can I show you how grateful I am to you for your goodness, Lord. And Jesus says back, go to mass once. Boom. That's why we go to mass. And that's why we go to mass every day if we possibly can. And for folks who question the validity of the priests and the the sacrament being confected at the, the new mass or other masses, I have to go back to an interview, Taylor Marshall, who disappeared from Twitter, apparently, but we'll get back to that. Mm. Uh, go back to an interview he did with, I think it was Jesse Romero, who was assisted with um, a whole bunch of exorcists and exorcisms. And the idea that um, one, one of the things the exorcist will tell somebody who is going through the process of, of exorcism is to attend mass. Mm-hmm. And at the at the new mass, the person can stay up until the consecration before it's the the divine presence is so overwhelming they have to leave. Mm-hmm. And at the old mass, it's from the prayers to the foot yeah, of the altar from the very very beginning. Yeah, exactly. But but the but the first case, I mean, not to make a comparison between the two, but if if the if the priests weren't valid and the and the mass itself was not valid, yep. you wouldn't be having this visceral visceral reaction from the demons. I mean, Christ says right in the gospel when said when, when he was accused of casting out demons by the power of demons, that's not how it works. You know, the, the house divided against itself will fall. Right. And so somebody is saying, well, Satan is helping these Novus Ordo fake priests cast out demons. I don't think so. 
because Jesus even addressed that a very accusation about 2000 years in advance. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And we've also talked about on the podcast about how exorcists report over and over and over again, that um, when they go in and they don't have permission from the local ordinary, from the local bishop, the demons laugh at them and say, get out of here. You, you don't have permission. I, I'm not, I don't have to listen to you. And so then they go, they go down to the chancery and they get permission from the local ordinary. And, you know, obviously there are so few good bishops today. We, you can, you can very validly assume that the bishop that the pre that the priest exorcist got permission with was a, um, shall we say, less than stellar Catholic and certainly a less than stellar priest or bishop. However, once the exorcist has the permission from that bishop, goes back, the demons have to obey, have to comply because then the priest has that that. Um, that permission, that that legality, and the the order of the church is maintained. Why in the world would the demons, if if all of these bishops and all of these priests, if they're all completely totally invalid, um, why are the demons obeying them? Why are they doing that? Oh, it's all part of some grand master plan. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. That's not what's going on. Um, there, because the the ordinations are valid, the holy orders are valid, and obviously the masses are valid, as we've talked about. Wildly illicit, yes, yes. The Novus Ordo was conceived in malice by enemies of the church, specifically to decatechize the faithful. Absolutely, absolutely. But it's valid. Jesus comes. He's on the altar. And that's precisely the point. I mean, we've all made that. I think we've made this point many times before that um, that's precisely the problem. Uh, you know, we really don't get up in arms about what Anglicans do and that, you know, the 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 witch woman lesbian who dresses like dresses in a Roman collar and apes the apes the mass. Um, you know, it's pan addiction. It's, it's the real absence, as they say. The, it, our Lord is not there. Um, the problem is when our Lord is there. That's the big problem. And that is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Our Lord is there. This is the problem. And so, yeah. When our Lord is present and the, the folks there are not there to worship him, but they're there to worship each other. Mm -hmm. I've got a question. At what point does that start to bear a resemblance to having a pagan idol in front of the blessed sacrament? Because you have somebody worshiping themselves. Yeah. Yep. It's worshiping the group. Um, and that's Freemasonry too. Freemasonry, what it, what it initially presents itself as is the worship, the, almost a pantheistic of, of worshiping of mankind in and of itself, man worshiping man. Um, but the dirty little secret that, I mean, that's how Freemasonry markets itself on the surface to the world. Then when you get up, up, up into the ranks of Freemasonry, the dirty little secret is, is what that always turns into is the worship of Satan. Because men figure out very, very quickly that um, they aren't God and they aren't anything to be worshipped. And therefore, it's well, if it's not 
if it's not mankind, if it's not me, what what is there and what fills that void? And who who is the orchestrator of all of it is Satan. And so that's why you've got this Venn diagram of Freemasonry, sodomy, and um, the mafia. You can you can make a, a three part a three circle Venn diagram. And what those if you overlap all of those, I mean that 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 point of nexus in the center where all three of those circles overlap in the Venn diagram, that is the anti-church. That is the Freemasonic anti-church, this combination of Freemasonry, sodomy, and mafia. And by mafia, I mean, obviously what we're seeing now in terms of the the financial corruption, the Vatican Bank, and literally, you know, the Southern Italian mafia is involved in all that. Southern Italian mafia is huge into Freemasonry and um, the cult worship of Satan. It's all interconnected. Um, and the same thing with sodomy. Sodomy is an integral component is an integral component of um, satanic black masses and satanic rites. And Freemasonry pushes, pushes, pushes towards sexual perversion as a part of trying to get man to worship himself, turn his back on God, et cetera, et cetera. So it's all connected. It's a connection I don't want to get into yeah, for the most part. I'd rather just pray my rosary and um, figure out how I can grow in grace and holiness. Indeed. Well said. Uh, well, I teased something there about um, Taylor Marshall seems to be off off of Twitter and uh, somebody else who's a friend of the program, James D. up in the Great White North, he's disappeared from Twitter as well. So I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if, if uh, it, it's it's a little more aggressive than shadow banning. I, I know that's a, a medium you don't exactly appreciate. No, and I, I understand your, your point, but it's... It seems that it, it, I don't really have a, a fully developed thought there. It's just that I'm seeing some people start to disappear and people are noticing the disappearing happening. So, Well, have has Taylor Marshall or um, what's the guy who does the show with him, Gordon, have they come out and they have they given any explanation? Have they said anything one way or the other? I haven't seen it, but that doesn't mean they haven't said it. Um, like I said, I, I, I was on Twitter this morning and then not. Uh, so... If they have said something, I haven't seen it. Um, but because I mean, if this no. if this is a voluntary if this is a voluntary um, leaving Twitter, that's one thing. And if it is if it is um, Twitter itself, um, shadow aggressively shadow banning. Because yeah, I, I mean, you can you can go to Twitter even if you don't have a Twitter account and just see I don't know what you would call it the publicly visible aspect of it. And I did go to Taylor Marshall's thing and his, his entire profile is still there. It's just that all of the tweets are gone. There's no tweets there. And he hasn't tweeted in, I don't know, coming up on a week now or pretty close to it, I think. Um, I'm not sure. But it's weird because it doesn't say, it doesn't say um, banned, blocked, put in the put in timeout for saying hateful things. It doesn't say anything like that. It just says it's just there's his profile and there's no tweets on it. So I don't know. I, th I think a lot of people are, are asking about this. And if they haven't said anything, they should say something. If if you are quitting Twitter, God bless you. You're doing the right thing, by the way. But go ahead and let people know. Um, let people. I have seen that. I have seen that before, where somebody will make the decision, "I need to get off Twitter," 
and they will delete all of their tweets, but then post one more tweet saying, I am quitting Twitter. If you want more information about this, here's a blog post right. or something. Give some kind of indication that, yeah. you know, nothing nefarious happened. I'm leaving for my own sanctification or sanity or whatever mm-hmm. or both. Mm-hmm. Um, in this case, it's just radio silence and from somebody who tweets a lot. Well, and he's got the podcast too. I think, or the, um, is it, was it, what is it called when you do video? I guess that's called a podcast too, huh? He does. They, they do a video podcast or yeah. YouTube, YouTube live stream. Mm-hmm. So, um, I hope that it is a voluntary cessation. I hope all of these people, I mean, it's just, you look at it as an observer. Um, I never used it the way that people are used. I never really interacted with people on it. As I told you, and I, I, I don't want to monop- monopolize your time any more than I already do and have, goodness knows. But um, I use Twitter because you put it, had that sidebar on the blog, you know, that, that Twitter widget. And all I would do is if there was an interesting article or blog post or whatever that I saw, you w- I would tweet it and then there it would be sitting on on the sidebar of my blog without me having to make an entire blog post. I never followed anyone and the pe- that was always people would laugh and do screen caps of the homepage of my Twitter thing that I like 8,600 followers and following goose egg zero. I'm like, well, yeah, I, I never really understood how I, I don't think I, and I, to this day, I don't exactly understand how it, how it works. Um, but what it I, took me a long time to get that as well. And the, I, and I know I've used this phrase before, but Facebook is for talking with people, you know, mm-hmm. and Twitter is for talking with people you don't know. Oh, okay. And that sounds like it shouldn't make any sense, but the people you don't know that you'd be talking to would be about a particular topic. And this is where you flex the power of a hashtag. Mm-hmm. So for example, and I, I know I made this example that if you are a, a uh, developer uh, who, who, if you, if you do, if you're a programmer who works on the Microsoft stack and you have a question about Microsoft SQL server, I think it's hashtag SQL help SQL H E L P. And somebody will answer that very quickly. And half of the time it's somebody at Microsoft on the SQL server team. Wow. Uh, so these, these hashtags, and, and if you don't believe me, um, make make a tweet about um, the Vatican would be better served if they removed hashtag, hashtag JavaScript from their entire IT infrastructure. There will be two JavaScript bots repeating, re- retweeting that immediately, and some knucklehead's going to reply saying, "What are you talking about?" Yeah, that because people follow those hashtags, and and if there was an earthquake in Germany. Yeah. You could do hashtag Germany earthquake and, and, or hashtag Germany hashtag earthquake. And it's a way to find out about topics very quickly mm-hmm. and to follow topics. So that's, that's really where, where Twitter gets really interesting. Um, I it's also a great way to waste time too. waste time. Um, yeah, it's, it's weird. Uh, I think people kind of lacking in self-awareness just don't, don't realize that, you know, People can see the timestamps on all of this, and it's sad. It's truly sad. But you see people who are who are on Twitter and tweeting like eighteen hours a day, and it's just like, oh my goodness! And then to just to see the behavior, um, the way people talk to each other and treat each other, and it's. Uh, I, well, just assume anything awful. you tweet will be held against you by somebody who didn't understand what you're saying. Well, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just talk about looking for trouble. I mean, just 
looking for like mortally sinful trouble. And it's clearly a manifestation of addiction. Um, there have been several, there's more and more stories popping up. Um, I think the last one I saw was um, South Korea. South Korea is um, getting serious about the fact that so many of their young people are addicted. And that's clearly, clearly what it is. It's clearly an addiction. Um, people are addicted to social media, gaming, um, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever the hell. And, you know, that, that's probably showing how old and out of touch I am because I'm sure that Facebook and Instagram are now laughed at by young, you know, 22 year olds in South Korea. I'm sure they haven't used those platforms in years, but you know what I'm talking about. Um, and that these governments are seeing that this is absolutely 100% an addiction. And it's a, it's weird because it's, it's a, it seems to me it's a very, it's a moral addiction. Um, it isn't just the, the wasting of time, but the, the behavior is just, it's just awful awful. And you see people just frittering their lives away and who are clearly committing, committing sins. And I, you know, that's between them and God and all that, but you just, it's, it's terrifying to watch. Um, and they just, they just don't even realize it. I don't think. And uh, it was seemingly incapable of walking away from it. That's what's so scary. Um, even even seeing and having people say to them, you're clearly addicted, this is clearly a problem, and just cannot get away from it. Um, that's, it's terrifying to watch, but, you know, adults are adults and grownups are grownups and everybody has to live their own life. So all we can do is pray, I guess. And, and mind, one, mind one's own store too. So, um, I would probably do better to not be online as much as I am, certainly. So, I was about to make the tongue-in-cheek comment that it's probably a great way to find out what you should be praying for if you go online. But at the same time, you know, the monks and, and, and uh, nuns have gotten by without that, knowing that if they just simply say, I'm going to pray for whoever needs it right now. Yeah. We talked earlier about prayers don't get wasted. Yeah. Mary knows who needs the the prayers and she will route them accordingly. Yep. And if it's to whoever's in most, you know, need of, of, of prayers because they're in temptation, our lady of Fatima said people, people go to hell because they, nobody prays for them. Yep. Uh, they, they, they fall into sin because nobody's praying for them. Yeah. We don't need to be all up in everybody else's business. We don't need to be knowing what people's sins are. We just, we need to know what our own sins are, but we don't need to necessarily be all up in everyone else's business. Just, just pray. Amen. Yep. And until, I think we should probably wrap it here. Okay. It's getting, getting over an hour and a half at this point. There so the email address for the podcast, uh, if you have feedback, comments, suggestions is podcast at barnhart.biz masses for Anne's benefactors every single day of the week at least one mass and once a week there is a requiem mass please pray for these priests uh good grief if we think that 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 uh treads on twitter are our are targets priests who say the the mass and actually are helping souls are much bigger targets and satan wants to get rid of them indeed 
The Barnhart Podcast is a production of Supernerd Media. If you found something of value in this or previous episodes and would like to return some value, visit supernerdmedia.com for the very limited details. Um, PayPal's gone, and there's a mailbox that I haven't checked <laughs> in a week. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to thank Richard and Mark anyway, because they were the last to uh, send something in. And uh, Matthew 17.20. Matthew 17.20 intention. We're at two years now, folks. Be persistent. Um, things are happening. Keep praying. The intention is fourfold. It is that anti-Pope Bergoglio be publicly recognized and removed as anti-Pope and the whole thing be nullified, that Pope Benedict XVI Ratzinger be publicly recognized as having been the one and only living Pope since April of 2005, that Bergoglio repent, revert to Catholicism, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision, and that Pope Benedict Ratzinger repent of anything and whatever he needs to repent of, die in a state of grace, and someday achieve the beatific vision. Nothing less will do. Our Lady, undoer of knots, pray for us. And until next time, I am Super Nerd. And I'm Anne. Thanks, guys. God bless. 